Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is Matt Leiner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 304, coming to you on Wednesday, March 6th. We're going to talk about the start of spring camp, which kicked off on Tuesday for the Trojans. A lot of new stuff going on, a lot of new players, a lot of players moving on, and so much more. We're going to talk about all of that here in this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com. Our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. I am back off the disabled list, even though I gotta say I'm still not 100%. I sound terrible, but, you know... SC's not 100%. There's a lot of players who are going to be missing spring camp. So I just kind of got to, you know, grin and bear it here. You're fighting through it. You mean, you mean I'm fighting on? You are fighting on. Shout out to our boy Alex last week coming in at the last second. You guys had a great episode. I listened to it. It is fantastic. Yeah, it's always fun to get Alex on. I thought we had a good conversation. And yeah, he did. He saved you. He saved the podcast. And he's he's the best. Indeed. Um, a lot of stuff going on with Reign of Troy right now. Not only is this the first episode of Spring Camp, this isn't Winter Camp, it is Spring Camp, but Alicia, you are going to start to be doing your car cast after every single practice. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, recording there live on campus, and then you will put them up onto Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. You can subscribe for as little as five fifty five per month. Alicia, you put up the first one on Tuesday after day one of spring camp, and I just want to read a comment that we got from Joseph, which is pretty 
pretty good. Joseph says, damn, Alicia, I have to say this is the best report of all time. Not of the goodness of the news delivered, but of the character and skill of the analysis and delivery. I paid for nerd coverage and this was dope. You deserve an extra 500 bonus for this one. I'm happy to hear the practice was chaotic. Coach Clay Helton is not a chaotic personality, so this looks to be a departure from the status quo. Keep it up. Cheers. If that doesn't get you pumped up for, for practice carcass, I don't know what will. Oh, I, I hadn't actually seen that comment yet, so this is this is news to me. I'm really glad that, that Joseph enjoyed it. Uh, it's I mean, my, the aim for the practice carcass is like 20 minutes, and, and once you get into fall camp and they're really you know coming thick and fast, then... Yeah, they get down to 20 minutes. This one was a 37-minute car cast, and I could have gone another 20 minutes because I didn't even get to talk about Clay Helton's comments after after practice and and the philosophical kind of stuff that was going on. It was very much just the the information dump of, oh my gosh, all this stuff happened at practice, and here's what it happened. Uh, so yeah, that was uh, it. Was fun to record. I'm glad it. Uh, I'm glad it came off uh, with uh, with with any amount of skill. But that's something to look forward to as as spring camp continues all 15 practices. You're going to get 15 car casts of similar of similar style, I hope, where just riffing on observations from the field, uh, riffing on the things that players and coaches and everybody say after practice as well. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff indeed. Even though this is probably a terrible time to say that we completely botched our previews. Well, we did the offense and then I got sick and it just completely wrecked us doing the defense. Yeah, someone's voice box was uh, out of commission. I mean, it still basically is. It is a struggle right now. Struggle bus. I mean, remember, you're playing through it, Michael. You're playing through it. You're fighting on. I know. Uh, but I know. unfortunately, we weren't able to fight on through the uh, the defensive previews. This which... is terrible product placement, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, We're subscribe to the Patreon. We're going to make up for it. That's the yeah, point. Subscribe to the Patreon. Elisa's doing a great job on the practice car cast. We're going to have more takes with Jake coming soon. We're going to have Rod on God, Game of Thrones, drop the first trailer. Um, Rod on God's going to be on Patreon. And so check that out for uh, Game of Thrones Season 8. For those people who like that. For those people who don't, you don't have to worry about it because you're not going to see it in your regular feed. But if you dig it, patreon.com slash of Troy. Get all of our bonus episodes for as little as five fifty-five per month month there's a lot of stuff to get into a lot of news i can barely speak over here barely get my words in but let's do it let's start with the news up next Alicia, we're going to start with the news first, and then we're going to talk about spring camp day one after this. Transfers. Transfers, transfers, transfers. That has been the key theme for USC all offseason. Little would you know, right before spring camp begins, transfers come right back up again. Phelous Jones and Greg Johnson reported to be put into the transfer portal at the end of last week but are still technically on the roster, um, and it's an interesting situation. Neither guy was at practice on Tuesday. Uh, Michael Pittman was interviewed about it, and he said Valus Jones isn't officially in the transfer portal and is still figuring things out, but he's, not, quote, not out the door yet. Yeah, and then after practice, uh, Clay Helton was asked about it, and he said that they are in the transfer portal. So I, it seems to be a weird situation where, I mean, that's the thing, is being in the transfer portal doesn't mean that you're gone. You're just basically contactable by other schools. So Michael Pittman, at least, was 
trying to give the impression that Valus Jones could still come back, but Keely Yor of, of USCFootball.com tweeted that there might be some sort of family health issue that's at play with Valus Jones, so personal reasons, we'll, we'll see what, what ultimately his decision comes out to, but it's unfortunate because those two guys are at positions of extreme need for USC as far as depth is concerned this spring. Without Greg Johnson, uh, USC only has three scholarship cornerbacks, so that's a, a serious problem. And he was going to be unavailable for spring camp anyways because he's also recovering from a shoulder injury along with Elijah Griffin, but he's still at a position where he would have been the veteran of that group by far. Uh, right now, USC return co- coming back for the 2019 season, Elijah Griffin is the most veteran corner in the group. And Elijah Griffin played eight games last year. So the the experience in the secondary is a real concern. So Greg Johnson leaving, while he did have his struggles last year, that's it's it's a problem for USC just in terms of depth and experience. V- Velas Jones, if there is that personal situation there, it makes more sense because USC doesn't they don't have any slot receivers. So like if if it's like a, a depth chart thing with him, it doesn't make a lot of sense because he was going to get run. Gra- yep. Graham Harrell's offense is a is a four wide receiver offense, so there's going to be two slot receivers starting, and with uh, with Pi Young apparently no longer on the roster, USC only has one slot receiver, one true slot receiver in Amon Ross St. Brown. So Valus Jones, if USC could get him back, it would be a big big deal. It just doesn't feel like it's the kind of thing that will be resolved before the end of spring camp. So USC is going to go through this spring camp with just a bunch of walk-ons running there. Yeah, it's an interesting situation um, in the sense for, for Valus Jones. If it is a family matter, that's a whole side plot, right? Um, that I think changes things. Uh, I think when people originally saw the report, it was, oh, here we go again, yet another wide receiver add to the list. You know, uh, Trayvon Sidney and Randall Grimes and... Um, Imanur Bebe, and the list goes on and on of all these receivers who have departed this this offseason, but Valus Jones is someone who I expect to have a big input um, this season, especially because I think that Graham Harrell will use him correctly if he gets the opportunity. Whereas we've talked about before, it seemed like T. Martin liked Valus Jones a lot, which I think there are reasons to like Valus Jones a lot, but he just used him in a way that was very predictable did not put him really in situations that worked um, that often. And you could see that Valus Jones struggled at times on offense last year. And you, he was someone that I wanted to see him be able to grow in an air raid offense. Hopefully for USC, everything works out to the point where he's able to come back. But if not, that's a huge, huge, huge loss. You can afford to lose one slot receiver this offseason. You can't afford to lose both of them behind Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, Alicia, you mentioned Pai Young. He's someone who had been rumored in the offseason to to um, be transferring away. Nothing was ever officially reported. Pai Young never tweeted about it. Nothing. And it was kind of just this thing where we didn't even know what was going on. Different sites are reporting different things. We go into spring, the spring prospectus comes out, and he's listed as a lost squadman. And it's an interesting situation for him. We've talked about it before. I didn't know what the hell was going to happen to Pai Young in the sense of it didn't seem like he had a clear pathway 
for playing time on either side of the ball. He had been used on both sides of the ball, and it was really difficult for him. And we had mentioned that we kind of felt bad for him because, you know, he comes away all the way across the country from Miami, and now he's in this situation where it's like, where is he going to get playing time? But then all of a sudden, all these receivers transfer away, these cornerbacks depart, and it looked like maybe there's finally going to be an opportunity, and yet now he's a lost squadman. Yeah, it's it's another one where the departure alone wouldn't be so much of an issue if it wasn't positions of need, right? And and you're right. Like, Pai Young had a unique opportunity potentially this spring. Like you said, USC didn't have – they don't have slot receivers, so he would have been getting a lot of of reps in the slot this year, a lot of meaningful reps in the slot in the spring. And worst comes to worst, they could have moved him back over to corner and he would have been getting a lot of meaningful reps over at corner. So – I don't know, he just never, he never seemed like a guy, he was either always injured or dealing with some, you know, off the field stuff or just not favored by, by any USC coaches. What, what I find intriguing about him is he's, he's not on the roster anymore. He's listed as a squad been lost. And yet his Twitter account still has everything USC on it. And he was at practice today. Like he, he was in the crowd at practice today, briefly at least. So he's still, you know, hanging around the the school. Like I just, I, I don't know what's what necessarily is going on with him or, or what his future holds. But you know, when you're off the roster, you're off the roster. Someone who is still on the roster, it looked like maybe he wouldn't be, is Hunter Eccles. Uh, he was originally reported last week to be in the transfer portal, but then he wasn't. Comes out that maybe he had a change of heart. He's someone we had talked about as recently as like last month, and I think I picked him as someone to keep an eye on who could have a breakout season this year, and it looked like things were in question, and then he's back. But then day one of practice, which we're going to get into a little bit later, it looks like he didn't really get an opportunity then. The interesting thing about Hunter Eccles is that he had a, a role in the 20, 2018 season it's kind of like a third down pass rush guy off the edge. And there were a few moments there where he looked like, yeah, he's got something about him. He, he could really contribute with this team. And he's, he's still sort of sat behind Christian Rector. And you was sort of Christian Rector, you understand why USC wants him deployed there. So it wasn't like Hunter Eccles was being, you know, kept out of the lineup by somebody that didn't seem like they were worthy. Like Christian Rector was USC's second best pass rush guy behind Port, Port Augustine. So it sort of made sense. But coming into every season, it just felt like, well, Rector will go back to defensive end and a true predator will take up that spot on the outside. And it still doesn't quite look that way. Like, we're going to get into the practice stuff, but Hunter Eccles wasn't getting the first team reps that, that I thought he might get on that defensive front. And USC seems to be moving in a different direction, which we'll talk a little bit about, about later when we get into the spring camp sort of observations. But... He's a guy who is probably going to evaluate his options this spring. And if things continue as they are, as they did on, on Tuesday, then the whole he's not going to transfer thing might might be short-lived because I, I, I genuinely expected him to just get more run. And he definitely didn't. So there's it's a, I think this is a storyline to really keep an eye on. Yeah, he's got a lot of talent, just like the rest of the linebackers. So that'll be something that you'll want to circle throughout the spring. Um, Last big news nugget to get to before we talk about the day one observations is Aaron Osmus, USC's new, again, strength and conditioning coach. Um, SC hires him to replace Ivan Lewis, who had been lost to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Pete Carroll hired him away. And, you know... This is an interesting situation. 
How many times this offseason has it been brought up that culture needed to be changed? Uh, Lin Swan himself said that there needed to be a change in culture, personnel, all these different things. And it comes out that Keith Belton, who is USC's assistant um, to Ivan Lewis, was running practice uh, or running the workouts. He leaves to go to Kansas and they're like, okay, SC's probably going to hire an outside guy. They're not just going to promote from within. This looks like a good thing for USC. If you're wanting change, if you're wanting a change in culture and all this stuff, and here goes Clay Helton and he hires Aaron Osmus, the guy who was the strength and conditioning coach at USC under Lane Kiffin, got hired the same time Clay Helton did in 2010. Previously, uh, Worked at USC under Pete Carroll and Chris Carlisle. He's had stints at Idaho, Ole Miss, and Tennessee under Lane Kiffin. And he has not been a strength and conditioning coach in six years since he left USC when Lane Kiffin got fired. And it's an interesting situation. He's been in the private sector running a a, a fitness app or something like that, which is interesting. So... I don't know how to feel about this move. It's definitely something that I wouldn't call inspiring. Um, but as you wrote on RainTroy.com, the proof is going to be in the pudding, just like all these things. Yeah, and I think you're right to use the word or, or sort of the, the idea of uninspiring because that's just about what this is. On the one hand, Aaron Osmus, I, I suppose he, like Clay Helton brought up on Tuesday that you know, he was the guy who implemented the the strength and conditioning that sort of helped produce the 2011 season. So I guess there's that. Uh, he was on, he was a part of the national title winning teams under, under Pete Carroll. So there's that. But at the same time, USC going out and getting a guy who hasn't had a strength and conditioning job in college football or in football in general in, you know, five, six years, like that's not... Not That's only not that, he hasn't had a job that wasn't related to USC. Yeah. Right? Like, he, he's at USC under Pete Carroll as an assistant to Chris Carlisle. That experience gets him the Idaho job. Um, But then Lane Kiffin hires him at Tennessee because he worked with him at SC. Well, and Ole Miss was with Ed Ogeron. So right. you're absolutely right. Like, oh, these are all interconnected hires and... I talked about like Ivan Lewis and and Lynn Swan's absurd comments that the fact that the Seahawks wanted Ivan Lewis means that he did a good job. Like that's absurd. The Seahawks wanted Ivan Lewis because they knew who Ivan Lewis was. Uh, like he had connections there, so you sort of write it off. Well, yeah, Aaron Osmus's jobs have all been from these connections where people know his name, and that's that's about it. So it's it's just. I don't know. It's 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 certainly not okay. We talked about all of the hires that USC makes, right? We talked about. I think it was particularly in in the case of Cliff Kingsbury, the idea of getting people who are desired by other people. Yeah. So like Cliff Kingsbury was great because he was desired by everyone else. Graham Harrell is pretty good because Graham Harrell was des- was a guy that was going to be or was desired by other programs, right? Like that's a good yeah. thing. If anything, he's a year away from being what Cliff Kingsbury could have been. Right, exactly, exactly. So Aaron Osmus is the opposite of that, undesired by anybody out of, you know, out of work after after Lane Kiffin left USC and he couldn't get a strength and conditioning job. So, like, I, I don't know, it, as I said, the proof will be in the pudding and... There's this like seminar thing that he did online that, that sort of read the introduction introduction to and 
it talked about how he had to sort of reformulate his philosophy and all that kind of stuff after being out of the job at USC. And I always flash back to Pete Carroll having to be out of the job to sort of figure himself out and, and come to a, a better philosophy. So maybe this is Aaron Osmus's first chance and this is where things take take off. What my worry is, is that USC is banking a whole lot on that being the case. And I don't know that there's a lot of evidence that it will be the case, right? Like, it's, yeah, yeah, uninspiring. I just go back to uninspiring. Yeah, I'm looking at his bio really quick. Um, to be fair, Aaron Osmus had a connection to Tennessee before Lane Kiffin. Well, he went to Tennessee. Yes, but then he was at SC. Nick Holt took him to Idaho. <laughs> Ed Ogeron took him to Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin took him back to Tennessee. Lane Kiffin brings him to Tennessee. And now Clay Helton brings him back to SC. Like, at some point, it'd be cool if someone other than an SC person hired him. Yeah. Exactly. What what I'll say is that uh, Taylor Ashton, who's a, a walk-on that uh, is, is pretty active on Twitter, sort of coming at things from like a former player and fan I believe perspective. the brother of Colin Ashton, who was on the 2005 team. Yes, exactly. Uh, cor- Taylor was a, a cornerback. But he he tweeted us, tweeted Ray and Troy, going like, no, double A is legit. Like, he's going to whip these guys into shape. So there's that. I mean... I don't know if if that's going to totally resolve my misgivings about uh, my my concerns about this hire, but s- someone's vouching for him, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, he will get his opportunity. Uh, we will see. And if there's anything that's proven, SC fans love, love, love having opinions about strength and conditioning coaches, so we'll see how that goes later on this year. But let's talk about spring camp. Opened up on Tuesday. Day one was on Tuesday. Let's get to our observations, or your observations. You were at practice. I wasn't. Let's get to that up next. Alright, Alicia. Spring camp, not winter camp, spring camp began on Tuesday, day one. Let's get right into it. Talk about Clay Helton first. He had his opening press conference at the end of of the practice session, and he had a lot to say. One of them was, quote, For me, the ownership has to be able to identify the mistakes that happened last year, to be able to make it a priority out here at practice, be able to have a plan, to be able to correct those things, and then execute that plan. That's a lot of coach speak. Tons of coach speak, but coaches are going to coach speak. And I think what he sort of said jumping off of that is he laid out sort of four priorities that they're going to pay attention to this this spring camp. Um, and, I, and I actually, I came away thinking that I think he's on track here. Um, the coach speak is, co- like I said, it's coach speaks, and so you have to sort of take it with that grain of salt. But at the same time, you have to like wonder like, so what what was I, maybe I'm setting the bar very low, but what was I expecting him to do this spring camp? I was expecting literally more of the same. Like, I was expecting pretty much all the same lines that we've heard before and all the same emphasis that we've heard before. And I was ready to just want to bang my head into the wall with fundamentals and technique and all that kind of stuff. But I think what he laid out is actually pretty coherent, and I think it's actually pretty on point. So he talked about simplification, uh, discipline, turnovers, and competition as the four emphasis, uh, uh, areas of emphasis that they're going to have this spring. So what he means by like simplification is they hired Graham Harrell to bring in the air raid offense in part because it's simple and easy to run and basically will let USC's talent 
shine out without overcomplicating things for them. But then he also slipped in this little nugget that I think is is quite interesting. He told Clancy Pendergast to simplify the defense, to make it easier for, for the defenders to know what they're doing, to pick up the system, and to play fast. Um, and then... And and so, like, the idea is that basically they're just trying to make it easier on everybody from an offensive and a defensive perspective. I wonder if it's the same thing on special teams or not. We'll see. But simplification, which I think is is key. Um, discipline, which is basically they're just going to focus on on limiting the penalties, which I my my focus right now is definitely on. OK, you can give me the coach speak, but give me the tangible examples of how you're going to achieve this. Right. Tangible example of how USC is going to achieve discipline. They're going to have referees at every single spring camp practice. This is the first time that I've seen them do that. They've they've brought in referees for like scrimmages before, but to have them there for all 15 practices is I think is a big statement and a big thing. Like, like Michael Pittman complained about having the refs there after practice because he caught a touchdown pass and then he spiked the ball and he got a flag for it. But like, that's the learning experience, right? Like that's the that that's where guys need to learn how to control their emotions and guys need to learn how to coexist with referees and understand what it is they're doing. So I love that tangible move. Credit to Helton for making it. Uh, the third one was turnovers. So basically, um, what they did is they started practice with like turnover drills. So ba- the defense was trying to force turnovers and the offense was trying to prevent turnovers by doing ball security drills. So if they're going to do that every practice, then you got to think that that's eventually, you know, they're going to build up those skills. We'll see if if that anything will come of that. Of the four, I think that one's the most um, intangible, especially because we've talked before. USC's turnover luck in 2018 was just like stupid bad. And it's probably going to get better just because you can't possibly be that unlucky again uh, in in a season. And then the last one is competition, which is basically just you know, the p- standard lines about competing and everybody fighting for their job and no one being complacent and comfortable and all that, but tangible thing that they're going to do, even if it's just a symbolic kind of thing, uh, they're going to release a depth chart every Friday. And they they used to release a depth chart earlier in the week, which is pretty standard, but they're going to wait until Friday to do it now in order to show players in a visible way that practice does matter. Now, I'm going to be most curious to see if practice really does matter, if performance and practice really will be able to change that depth chart. But the very least, they're they're saying the right things about making those kinds of changes. So I'm going to give Helton credit. Like, the only thing that I think would have placated fans a little bit more is if he stretched it to five and talked about physicality. But you can't have everything. Yeah, they're good ideas. But then again, I think most things that Helton says on the surface are good ideas. It's just a matter of actually carrying it out, right? Being able to do it. And we've said before, you can say and do anything you want to do if you win. If you win, nobody cares that Tolobanan's the love of your life. If you win, nobody cares what your plan was. People are just glad that you won. Yeah. Uh, and if you lose, everyone cares what that plan is. So for Clay Holton, you got to find a way to make this plan a winning one. I think there's a lot of interesting factors into it. Um, it sounds like a good idea, but it's like a diet. Uh, just a matter of sticking to it and actually 
making it work because of that. I One of the interesting things that I think is fascinating is the simplification of the defense, because I want to know exactly what that means. Elton also talks about having bigger fronts. I don't know how to feel about that, because what's that going to mean on a game week? What's it going to mean for an opponent? Because I don't think you should have four down linemen for the sake of having four down linemen. Have a defense that's going to stop the offense that you're facing. And so my only concern is that it's changed for the sake of change. Obviously, a lot needed to be changed, but they still need to be the right changes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but the, the the bigger fronts thing, I think uh, you're right to point out, is, is kind of an intrigue. We will get to talk to Clancy Pendergast later this week, so I'm I'm hoping to be able to, to quiz him on sort of what kinds of changes and, and how that will actually take shape. Uh, but, you know, just from an example from Tuesday, USC's defensive front was still more or less the two-man front except the two guys on the outside that they had who are technically the outside linebackers were were Christian Rector and Connor Murphy both sort of 6'7 270 kind of guys so maybe that's where they find the solution where they go with um you, you know where they they simplify everything and then just sort of go bigger on the outsides in their pass rushers instead of putting like a Jordan ISF like strong side linebacker out there and uh you know uh, Hunter Eccles out on the on, in the predator spot um where you're not going to have you know your physical freak that is Port Augustine so kind of go all in on the the bigger physical freaks i mean it makes right. a lot more sense too now because they they recruited Drake Jackson and he's that Christian Rector kind of mold hybrid defensive end outside linebacker uh, tweener kind of kind of situation I mean it's weird to call him a tweener because he just certainly doesn't look like it but you know where you're not quite big enough to be a defensive lineman and you're quite oversized to be an outside linebacker but the way that they're deploying Christian Rector that's kind of what they're going for and Drake Jackson fits that mold so turn up on Tuesday his first practice is a collegiate player and where is he he's at outside linebacker so that that would seem to me to suggest that that the the bigger front thing is is being put into action, uh, even if it may have some ripple effects across the lineup because there's been some position changes for some guys. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of 2013 when those outside linebackers were Devon Kennard and Morgan Breslin. Yes, guys that I think would be traditional uh, 4-3 defensive ends in a lot of schemes um, because they're bigger guys but they also have the ability to play outside like that. And so that could give USC some flexibility. I'm interested to see how that goes on and is deployed in games. Let's use this as the segue to talk about the position changes. First one, Liam Jimmins moves from the defensive line to offensive tackle. And I think this is a great time to mention the defensive line is the most stacked position group. I was listening to our friends over at uh, the Family Feud podcast from the Parastyle podcast. And Keely Orr and Shotgun Spratling talked about it. The defensive line is, like, insanely stacked compared to everything else. You know, SC has, like, three healthy wide receivers. There's something like two two guys in, in the back in defensive backfield. There's a million defensive linemen. And it really gives SC the flexibility to be able to do these things like bigger fronts. Or, or move Liam Jimmins to the offensive line. Right, where the offensive line depth is not quite as good as, as in other places. So you can move Liam Jimmins, who I thought was a guy who was really coming along reasonably well and looked like he was going to be able to contribute 
in 2019 on the defensive line, but they move him over um, in in part because, you know, they needed the help at, ta- at tackle and he got second team reps to tackle. So obviously, you know, they needed they needed him to get over there quick because they uh, Bernard Shermer was out, I believe, uh, w- injured. But, you know, you got Jay Tufele and Marlon Tupelo to leading that line. You got Brandon Peely behind them. Uh, Jacob, Jacob Lichtenstein has come along pretty well. You've brought in Caleb Tremblay, who didn't practice on Tuesday because he's injured. But you also brought in Nick Figueroa. You have Christian Rector. You have some flexibility up there um, on the defensive line. And, and you're you're adding Drake Jackson, who's at one of those hybrid guys. You have Trevor Trout, who is going to be limited this, limited this spring because of a back injury. But he's a, a big defensive tackle. And you're going to add D- Dijon Benton. Over the summer, so yeah, you you got those bodies in there. You hope that you don't run into any you know big massive injury crises like USC is prone to having. Uh, but there there is some flexibility there, and it's going to be in- intriguing to see how Liam Jimmons takes to that that tackle spot because they have thrown him. I mean, they're throwing a lot of guys right into the mix right away uh, th- th- this spring because they sort of have to. But those are opportunities for those guys to really make a name for themselves as well. So. Uh, the deep, the I totally agree though. The defensive line is basically the key to everything on defense. Because if those guys live up to their potential, if they get the most out of that group, then the defense is going to be a hell of a lot better than they were last year. Yeah, and the linebackers are young in in certain spots. No Port Augustine, no Cam Smith, and that's going to allow those guys to have the luxury to grow, like an EA Naoteote or a Salman Tuliapupu, or you know take pressure off of them both um, at different positions on that linebacker core. Which leads us into talking about Jordan Iasefa and Kanai Mauga. We've talked about it before. Those two guys can't play a very similar game. Both of them were outside linebackers on the strong side last year. They have been pushed back inside as inside linebackers. Yeah, an intriguing move. I mean, we talked a little bit more. We talked a little bit about what USC is doing in those outside linebacker spots and how they seem to be bulking up there. And, and I mentioned Christian Rector working there, Connor Murphy working there, Drake Jackson was working there, Nick Figueroa was as well. So that tells you something about the size that they're looking for. And, and frankly, Isefa and Mauga are not that profile of, of, of body, right? So... um you know, on the one hand, it could be that they're just trying to create some competition on the inside. But on the other hand, I'm wondering if it's just like if they're going a different direction in those outside spots and those guys no longer fit at outside linebacker, at strong side linebacker. Uh, and if if they're just going to shift everybody back, I guess, into the into the inside spots and then go free for all. And maybe maybe there's a way to have more versatility if you can have. John Houston and Ian Nateote as your sort of starting inside linebackers like you expect. But then you can sub in or shift in, depending on situations, someone like Jordan Iasefa or someone like Kanai Mauga. Um, you know, Kanai got a little bit of run last year on the inside, just sort of randomly shifting him back out there. So you know that they, they, they like his skill set for that. But uh, these are sort of big, powerful guys that maybe, you know, maybe John Houston isn't going to be your every down uh, inside linebacker because he doesn't have the body for it. Sometimes when you're playing Stanford, you might need a little bit more power. So I don't know. I I don't know if I'm going to bet on Clancy Pendergast doing it that way because it's just not his style to, to shift so many guys in and out. But at the same time, everyone I'm talking about are guys who feel like they have the Clancy Pendergast stamp of approval. So it could get really, really intriguing at, at linebacker in terms of the combinations that they might be willing to use uh, because if if I was going to say that Pendergast is going to be willing to 
rotate anybody. I, I could talk myself into him rotating in Jordan Iasefa because Jordan Iasefa has been one of his favorite players going back three years. Yeah, and we've been saying that a long time because he's been saying that a long time. He will speak with the media, I believe, on Thursday. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. That's the expectation. Perfect time to subscribe to Patreon, patreon.com slash of Troy, and Alicia could tell you what Clancy says about those guys on Thursday after practice. But let's move to the defensive backfield and talk about the nickelbacks. Not only is Chase Williams there, which I don't think it's a surprise he's someone who kind of has been, you know, a hybrid corner safety, so it makes sense to put him at nickel, where Jaden Harris was the hybrid corner safety. But Raymond Scott, the two-time state champ out of Narbonne, is also at nickelback, moving over from linebacker. Yeah, so Raymond Scott had run, they, they, they were running him in the nickelback spot last year, basically because they didn't have any, they needed somebody to fill that role on the scout team and, and, and in, you know, in, in practice situations, they ran him at safety too at one point. So he was a guy that, that clearly showed a versatile skill set. And I think it's a situation of need as well. And then we also talk about like the inside linebacker situation. If you're going to move Jordan Iasefa and Kanai Malga to inside linebacker, you already have John Houston and, and Palaia and Ateote. You have Solomon Tulipupu who had, was making plays left and right in practice as well. So suddenly you're talking about a pretty crowded linebacker core there. Well, everyone moves back a spot, right? Pretty much. Well, Raymond Scott was going to get totally and utterly buried behind every single one of those guys. So it makes a lot of sense if they if they looked at him as a guy who had maybe a safety-ish kind of skill set. It makes a lot of sense to move him back into a position where he's going to have a lot more opportunities to to actually see playing time, to actually develop into something. And I don't know if this is going to be the year because he, he, he clearly needs some work as far as like his coverage ability. Um, but at the very least, he's going to get a, a ton of run this spring because they, they literally have no one else. I mean, USC secondary on Tuesday was something to behold because they basically have a one deep. They have a one deep plus one, and that plus one is Raymond Scott. So it's going to get really, really interesting with those DVs. But it seems to me like they have their nickels and, and Chase Williams will probably be the starter come the come the start of the season unless, you know, unless they end up moving Britton Allen over there uh, at some point. But because uh, I, I like his skill set for that as well. But, you know, the, the, the basic sort of it's, it's weird. The basic skeleton of what USC secondary is going to look like is already there. Um, they're gonna have Isaiah Polamau and Talano Hafanga at safety. If both they're guys coming off injuries, yes, they're gonna have I think Isaac Taylor Stewart and Elijah Griffin at corner. Uh, both coming off of injuries, uh, but uh, and then Chase Williams and Nickel. So like all those guys are there. OG is not practicing, but they're all present. Uh, it's just that basically all the depth that USC is going to have in the secondary this year is going to come from the, what is it, eight fall enrollees that are going to show up in, over the summer to, to to basically just step right in there and suddenly you're going to have a two and three deep. But for right now, it's going to be pretty shaky. And and Helton talked about, he was asked about this as well, that they asked him if he was, had concerns about USC being able to do 11 on 11 work uh, with the secondary that they have and Helton flat out admitted like they're not going to be able to do like they're going to have to stop practice to let the the DBs have a breather like I was watching Britton Allen and I was you know 
I was getting tired just watching him because I, I think he probably took 90% of the reps at, in every single drill and every single segment at corner. So, you know, there's there's a lot being put on those guys, but then you see it and it's it's a lot of opportunities as well. Yeah. So just to recap the position changes, let's look at it this way. Rector and Murphy go from defensive end to outside linebacker. Jordan ISF and Kanaimaga go from outside linebacker to inside linebacker. Raymond Scott goes from inside linebacker to nickelback. So those guys just move farther from the ball, if that makes sense. Yeah. Dominoes. And it'll be interesting, too, how much of this is plays out in just personnel just being moved around. How much of it is um, maybe uh, semantics? Because I know we have seen this before where Clancy Pendergast has done this thing before where he just renamed everything. Um, we saw it in 2013. The defensive ends became outside linebackers. And you're like, wait a minute, what's going on? When he came back, we didn't know whether to call the guys defensive ends or outside linebackers or whatnot. This feels like it's more a systemic change in the defense, size-wise, based on bodies. So we'll see how that uh, how that comes to be later on this spring. The good thing for USC, though, down all those DBs. Um, when you talk about the guys who are not participating, like Griffin and Hufanga and and Isaiah Polamau, all those guys, the wide receivers. SC's so thin at wide receivers. At least those two position groups are going up against each other. It's not it's not like, you know, there's a million wide receivers who need guys to defend them. No, there's barely any wide receivers too. So this is still going to be a spring that I think is going to be good for USC's front seven. And it's going to be good for USC's offensive line, um, which you can make the argument are the position groups that SC needed the most work with anyways. Well, and, and I suppose from a conditioning standpoint, those guys are going to get so much run that maybe it'll help their conditioning because they're not going to do a lot of standing around in practice. They're not going to have a lot of breathers in practice, not on either side of that ball. Yeah, you would think. Uh, let's run down the newcomers. Uh, we'll, we'll mention who they are and their numbers. Um, and if you want, um, at least you can chime in with your thoughts from day one. Uh, Keaton Slovis, a quarterback, he is an early enrollee wearing number nine, which is interesting. You put on Twitter that you think it was weird that he's wearing number nine. I don't. I, I'll tell you exactly what happens, and this is my crystal ball prediction. If he ever wins a starting job, he'll get number seven. He wore number seven in high school. He's taken recruiting trips um, where he wore the number seven jersey. If he wins the starting job, if he becomes a legitimate candidate for USC at quarterback, whenever that ends up being the case, if it happens, he moves to number seven and the number nine opens up for a wide receiver because number nine is a wide receiver number at USC. Yeah, that's why I think it's weird though, because the number nine is a wide receiver number at USC and it's a pretty iconic one at that. If he wanted to wear number seven, I have a really simple solution for him. A walk-on wide receiver is wearing number 17 right now. Why not put Keaton Slovis in the number 17 and leave the number nine open for someone like Kyle Ford or Drake London or, or Munir McLean, some, someone like that. I don't, I don't know. It's just weird. Either way, uh, he had his debut on Tuesday and he looked pretty decent. He looked fine. He, he's got a he's got a nice arm. I worry a little bit about uh, his accuracy, if that if that makes any sense, because his ball placement was a little bit off. I think he was putting he was no one picked him off that I saw, but he was putting the ball in, in some dangerous places where a DB could take serious advantage of it being thrown behind guys a little bit. So that could be just first day jitters. But, uh, you know, there was some some good, some bad as far as, uh, you know, quarterback debuts. I would put him, uh, you know, above where Matt Fink was at this stage. So that's, it's that's the other thing is he's got no pressure. Yeah, he's not expected to do anything. 
for the next two years. So I think which is a good situation for him right now because he doesn't have to come in and go balls to the wall and win a job immediately. No one's expecting that. And I think that's going to be healthy for him. Allow him to develop at his own pace. Um, Other new guys, linebacker Raylan really Goforth is wearing number 19. Yeah, good number. Um, That's Michael Hutchings' number. And uh, Michael Hutchings yep. is a is a grad assistant now for USC. So it sort of all goes around. Raylan Goforth is bigger than I thought he would. Like, I, he's just bigger in person than I pictured in my mind. So, uh, yeah. he's his, gonna... his brother Randall was a DB at UCLA. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, he's just a like little bit th- bigger, thicker, uh, Raylan is. Uh, he's, he's gonna more than likely gonna redshirt, but, uh, he'll be a guy who's gonna develop from, you know, benefit from the ability to develop as well. Yep. Two number 24s, punter Ben Griffith. The um, elder statesman from um, Australia and the number 24 DP Max Williams. Max Williams coming off the ACL tear. He will not factor into spring, but maybe potentially somewhat, maybe in the fall. If not, he'll be a redshirt candidate, but we'll get to that later. But Ben Griffiths, I am fascinated to see what happens. It seems like he's going to be the starting punter more than likely if he's healthy. What do you think it, from day one? Yeah, didn't didn't get a, a ton of time to look at him kick. Uh, the one the one or two kicks that I saw him do looked like they got really good hang time. I, I wouldn't say I was like blown away by him. You didn't but have your stopwatch out. I didn't have my stopwatch out, and and Frank like day one I was like my head was spinning. I was paying attention to so many different things. I was like you asked me about him after like after, and I was like I don't know he. K- k- kicked the ball. I don't. I, I. don't know. I'll have to pay more attention to it later. But, uh, you know, he's he's pretty much going to be unchallenged for that starting punter job. So, uh, you know, we'll see what he does when he gets into into the game. Max Williams was at practice. Uh, it was in a jersey, big old brace on his knee, uh, and he was uh basically working out alone uh with a with a trainer. So. I don't know. I, I'm inclined to think that anyone who is coming off of a knee injury, which there are quite a few in this freshman class coming off of a knee injury, I am doubtful of their ability to not redshirt because that's just USC tends to slow play returning guys from those kinds of injuries. Uh, but the fact that Max Williams is already at the stage where he can run in a brace or they can move around in a brace means he's like well ahead of schedule or well ahead of like where Jay Godfrey was, uh, you know, at this stage or, or where a couple other guys have been. So we'll see from him. But uh, he was present and that's uh, that's something. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, Britton Allen. He's in the number 25. Their jersey previously worn by third string All-American Jack Jones. Yeah, I uh, the, the jersey suits him well. I got to say the jersey suits him well. And I got to say, he was the guy that I, I came out of practice most impressed by. Um, I think there were other guys who had sort of bigger days on on this day, but I think that Britton Allen was thrust into a really difficult situation. Like I said, he probably played 90% of everything that USC did at corner today, you know, 7-on-7, 11-on-11, one-on-ones. Like, he was getting so many reps left and right. And I thought he did quite a good job. He didn't look like he was floundering at all. Uh, he, he looked very natural for the position, and and he's a safety that they have out there playing corner. He has natural natural ball, ball skills. And I think that the thing that struck me the most is that uh, I, I liked the way that he played the ball. I liked the way that he, you know, would would stay with a receiver, but then he would get his head around to find the ball and to try to make a play on the ball. And I think there's there, there's definitely something there from him. I, I, very encouraging to see him out there and looking already like 
like he is a guy who could contribute. I wrote uh, in, in I think in December I wrote about him as one of the guys who you know got guys in this freshman class who could conceivably start. He was one of the guys that I mentioned, and it's nice to just sort of get that visual confirmation as opposed to just sort of watching his huddle tape uh, when when you see him in, in actual person and you go no yeah no that I wasn't I wasn't you know bullcrapping anybody about that. Britton Allen legitimately uh, does have that little bit of polish to him that you'd like to see from an early enrollee who, who is going to give himself a chance to contribute in the fall. Yeah, we've seen it before. Um, Andrew Voorhees a couple years ago, last year, Kanai Mauga, guys who are able to become contributors based on where they began in the spring. And moving on, number 47, Clay Matthews' former number goes to linebacker Stanley Taufo'o. Uh, and then number 50 goes to defensive lineman Nick Figueroa, two guys who I think could play roles in the front seven. Yeah, two guys who, who will play roles at outside linebacker. Uh, I'm impressed by your ability to pronounce Stanley's name because I'm just, I'm going with Stanley. All I, credit goes to uh, Tim Tessalone and his crew. Um, it's I'm just reading guys? off the, mem- the media guide. Yeah, I'll, I'll work on that. I'll work on that shortly, but I'm, I'm going to stick with Stanley. And uh, yeah, uh, he he's probably going to need time to, to bulk bulk up a little bit, but he's got a frame to be one of those bigger outside linebacker guys for USC. Nick Figueroa was already in there at outside linebacker um, opposite Drake Jackson, so interesting to see how he'll progress in the spring because he's a Juco guy who you'd look at and say, oh, you hope you hope that he can contribute right away. Yep. Uh, Gino Canones gets number 66, formerly worn by Bruce Matthews. He's going to be listed as an offensive and defensive line player. Where did he get run on on Tuesday? I I didn't. He didn't get run. He didn't get run. You they they weren't doing really third team or beyond, so it's a little bit hard to say with the linemen. But I didn't quite see exactly where where it was. But in the uh, spring perspectives, they talk about him as a guard and a center. So I'll keep an eye out for more on that as we get more time to actually see guys. All right. Sticking to the line or someone who could have a hand in the dirt. Number 82 goes to tight end Jude Wolf out of Bosco. Someone who we talked about before of all the freshmen could have the biggest impact because there is a role to win and it's potentially a lot of starting reps at tight end. Yeah. He looks like a college tight end already. 82 is a good number for him. Uh, but he was pretty low on the uh, on the pecking order there at tight end. Uh, Eric Kromenhoek was getting the first team reps there. So that'll be an interesting competition. And uh, he, he should be a factor there, but it might take him a little time. Yeah, and then sticking with the receiving core, let's talk about JJ3, John Jackson the third. He gray shirts from last year. And so now he is on the team and will be a true freshman this year. Uh, he's wearing number 87, not wearing the number one. Um, here's my question for you. At what point does he get the number one? <laughs> he could earn it. He could earn it. I was a little bit surprised that he was working mostly on the outside, basically shadowing Tyler Vaughn's. I kind of thought they'd throw him in the in the slot because he played slot a little bit for, for Sarah and um, they're in need of slot receivers. But looks like he's starting out on the outside. So he's got good size. Yeah, I saw a picture of him and he was way beefier than I thought he would be. Yeah, for sure. Especially like his dad is, you know... Not a huge dude. And yeah. um, he looks like he's got some size, does JJ3, um, the third Trojan in that family. Uh, and let's wrap this up with number 99, Drake Jackson, uh, wearing a number made famous by Mike Patterson, Ennis Davis. 
big guys in the middle, and he's going to be someone over on the edge, just like Willie Batiku before him. Yeah, number ninety-nine. He fills out the jersey. Uh, he's 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 big enough already. He's he's definitely got the size, and that's the intriguing part about him as a prospect. He's got that size, but he's also got that outside linebacker athleticism. So he's going to be competing for serious playing time, I think, this year. With them, with them using him out at that sort of end spot. Yeah, like Jude Wolf, he could be someone who has star potential as a freshman. Uh, let's wrap this thing up with open up the mailbag. Let's do that up next. You've got mail. All right, let's go to our voicemail and start with Dave in Orange County. Radio Troy Radio, what's up? This is Dave from Orange County. Yeah, man, I just, I, I just had to call in and and about this this news with uh, Ellis Jones and and uh, and uh, Greg Johnson and Hunter Eccles going into the, the transfer portal. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to sound like old man Dave and everything. I know that's that, that's the kind of joke we have with the in the Slack group. And by the way. Robots, if you're not in the Slack, if you're not doing the ten dollars a month, I, I don't know what's going on because this, this stuff, this, we live for this stuff. I mean, we get to rant on these things all day long. Uh, we get the extra special uh, podcast, the second and short, so I know at least who's going to have to drop another second and short uh, uh, about this uh, transfer protocol. So you know, just get on it. But anyway, besides that, I don't want to sound like old man Dave or anything. But what the hell is everybody and their mother going in on this transfer protocol? Uh, transfer portal. I mean, it's, this is getting ridiculous. You know, we just had a little message going on right now. You know, oh, coach talked to me in a funny way uh, at, at practice. Oh, you know what? Put my name in the transfer protocol. Uh, uh, transfer portal. Uh, uh, you know, um, I, I didn't get the reps that I wanted in practice today. Oh, you know what? Put my name in the transfer portal. Uh, what is it? Orange Gatorade? Yeah, man, I want a green Gatorade. Oh, transfer portal. I mean, this is just ridiculous. Is this just a millennial thing or, or what? Again, old man Dave, but... This is a millennial thing that, you know, things don't seem to be quite going your way, so you immediately look to, to transfer and pout about it. I mean, are all these people actually going to transfer? Are they actually going to man up and go, you know what, I want to change my situation so bad I'm willing to sit out a year? This stuff didn't exist before because it wasn't easy. We didn't make it so easy for them just, just to bolt and, and back out of their responsibilities. Y'all made a commitment to the university. I don't know about you, but, you know, I paid a pretty penny to, to go to USC uh, when I was there in the freaking 90s, it's got to be three times as much now. The university is making a big investment in, in these players to give them the free education at USC, which people would die for. Um, you know, it's, what, 20 years later? I graduated 19 years ago. So I'm still paying this damn thing back. This ain't cheap. This ain't, this ain't some willy-nilly thing. This is a university committing to you. You sign your name on the line. You make a commitment to the university. And, man, and, and, and you know, Right up to your end of the bargain and stay there. When going gets tough, you know, you be the guy to, to turn around this system. Uh, th- uh, this is, you know, I'm not a huge pro, you know, Clay Hilton guy or anything, but this is, this is ridiculous with all these names that are going on here. I, I'm sorry, man. I just, I, I just had to rant. And that's why I call the rant line. For my boy, Pop Chosen Fan out there in Virginia. Fight out. Thanks for the call, Dave, as always. Um, oh man, where to start? I, I, I think it's important to mention. SC, yes, is coming off a five and seven season, and there's transfers because of a lot of reasons. There's transfers from guys who feel like they didn't get opportunity, um, rightfully so. There's guys who are transferring for whatever reason, blah blah blah. I think it's important to note that transfers around the entire country are way up. 
uh, Penn State is losing like something like 10 to 12 guys, just the same way SC is. Literally the same thing. Um, so, and they didn't go five and seven. So every team is getting hemorrhaged in transfers. And you look at the big names that are on the move too. Your 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 Tate Martells, your Justin Fields, your Jalen Phillipses. Like these guys are making big moves. So many guys are tr- in the transfer portal. The transfer portal is now a huge deal to the point that people are spoofing the transfer portal, like on twenty four seven sports, to, to try to be up to date with whoever's all in there and everything. The the system has made it easier for guys to transfer. Because it's 2019. It, it, things are changed. Players have more rights and more opportunities now than ever before. They have more leverage. They have more opportunity in the sense of where they have a say, where they have power. And if you're going to give them agency, you can't expect them not to take advantage of it if they feel the need to do it. And so... I don't think this is necessarily a millennial thing. I think it's more so players have the opportunity to seek better opportunities, more power to them. And I think you, me, all of us would probably do something similar in a similar situation. I know we can sit here now and say, well, I went to SC for X amount of years and I never left and blah, blah, blah. Not everybody has that same experience. That said, if SC was a winning team, they wouldn't be in the situation to where every transfer was, you know, the sky is falling. Like I, like the the feeling around the transfers at Penn State are different than the feelings around the transfers at FC, even if Penn State may have just as many, if not more, transfers. Right. I, I think that the transfer situation is very much a product of the generation. And I'm not saying like this is a millennial problem, but it's the generation where, you know, there's no such thing as loyalty. And I think there's a there's a... I think you you can find a middle ground because I don't fall directly on the side that you're taking. Or I think you can find a middle ground where like you understand that this is the way things are while also bemoaning the fact that this is the way things are. Like I understand that guys are going to look out for themselves. I understand that that a a player will do what they think is best and that there are many many reasons for for transferring whether it's the depth chart or health concerns with family or you know, just a, a general sense of of wanting a, a change in 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 scenery, all that kind of, that kind of stuff. Like I understand the agency of players, but I'm also kind of with Dave on this. Like, I wish more players would stick it out. I wish more players would sort of would would show some loyalty. I wish that that was a a, a value that was a little bit higher up on the scale. Um, and I and I don't know if it's just that it was, you know, things were done differently before or if people just didn't have the option or people didn't have the same ideas. And so guys weren't thinking about this as even being a possibility. But I, like I, I am frustrated by the, the willy nilly nature of, well, you know, I didn't get playing time this year. So that's that. Like, I think what what I think you have to do as a as a fan, though, is look at it and say, man, that sucks when these guys leave, but maybe also think of it like as an opportunity to celebrate the guys who do stay, the guys who do put in the work, even though they don't necessarily get the playing time, um, the guys who who are not looking to, to, you know, to jump into the transfer portal at every turn uh, and, and celebrate those guys because the reality is that this is the nature of what college athletics is, is, is and is going to be and become and stay like the transfer portal is not going away so i don't like it but you know 
It is what it is. So I just looked it up on 24-7 Sports. Penn State, how many, how many transfers or, or guys in the transfer portal? Uh, guess, guess. T- 10? 19. That's absurd. UCLA has 12. SC is 10. Uh, Georgia has, I think, 6 and Alabama has 5. I think I counted that right. I, I think my, my point is not necessarily my point is that every school has a ton of transfers. And so I think it's important to understand that it's not just this SC had a bad season and a lump of everything is automatically an answer of, well, SC is bad and that's why this is happening. Like, no, this Penn is the State way that didn't have a bad season and they still lost 19 dudes. Right, right. But that's. That's why, you know, the USC's transfer situation, though, as we always say, it's all about the context, right? So, right. So, the fact that Joshua Matabebe and Trayvon Sidney are leaving is a problem because Trayvon Sidney, at least, was going to have a huge opportunity to, like, if he just stayed and fought, he, I guarantee you, he would have had playing time. Like, it's the context of losing Greg Johnson when you literally have no cornerbacks. Like, you, you, they're, they're right. all gone. Uh, because other guys got arrested and other guys got, you know, one thing one thing or another happened to them. So it's all about the context of these. Everyone is dealing with transfers, but I do think the transfers reflect poor. I wrote this on com. I think the transfers re- reflect really poorly of USC uh, and, and the players themselves. Nobody comes out smelling great when you look at these kinds of transfers because it says something about pretty much everybody, about the nature of sort of the culture around college football and the nature of the culture around USC. Yeah, because the stigma, the stigma is still there that transfers are bad, right? Um, that a transfer says bad things about a coach, that a transfer says bad things about a player. No one's ever going to look at a transfer good unless you're on the receiving end of it. Like people can talk about, oh, it's great that SC got Stevie Tuikolavatu, right? Well, if it was the other way around, if Stevie T left, like were Utah fans feeling great about Stevie T leaving? No. But when he comes your way, it's a good thing. When he goes, away from you it's a bad thing i think for sc i think the problem is they haven't evened out these things it would be easier to sit here and be able and for me to be able to say that you know transfers are just up if sc was bringing in transfers and maybe they will maybe we'll see that more over the summer than anything else but sc hasn't been doing that if sc was bringing in guys if they you know 10 guys are in the transfer portal including holden thomas by the way we didn't mention that so if SC is loses 10 guys but brings in three, it's a different story. It feels a lot different. You got to be in that market too if you're going to be able to lose those guys because I think that tells you something. It tells the fans something, right? Because the fans want to know that you're trying and that you have a plan. I don't think people care what the plan is. People want you to have a plan and that plan succeed. Well, people want you to win games, so. Right, which is that plan succeeding, Yeah. right? But moving on, let's go to a call from Michael in Idaho. Hey, guys. This is Michael in Boise, Idaho. Uh, long time uh, no call in because I had to catch up on some episodes. My um, equipment was down. So I caught up, and I have a question. I'm wondering if uh, Coach Helton will get a pass on uh, the 2019 season because of the uh, offensive coordinator fiasco and what that did in terms of signing recruits and that sort of thing. Or do you guys think um, this is pretty much it for him? I'm kind of thinking it might be a good thing for him to stay only because um, we had such a hassle last year with coaching changes. Uh, if the head coach situation is a mess at the end of the season, then that's going to keep recruits from signing on again. And I don't think we could stand uh, for two years in a row of that very well, uh, even though UCLA, praise God, had a uh, horrible recruiting year. That's it. You guys all hang in there. 
Uh, looking forward to the football starting up again. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for the call as always, Michael. Um, I don't think so. I think this is it. Um, I think if you're Helton, you're all in. I think he has to be. And I think that the sense is that this is it, right? Like, I don't think you have this four-step plan with drastic changes. These are drastic changes, right? I think, you know, telling um, your defensive coordinators to slim- simplify the defense and to change how he calls games is a drastic step. Doing that on offense as well with the new offense, bringing in the air raid and all these things, these are, and we can talk about the personnel changes and whether or not they lived up to what Lynn Swan promised and they haven't, right? But nonetheless, what Helton is talking about are big changes, at least. He still needs to do these things and show that he's carrying out these big changes, but to be able to say that you're doing all these things, you got to come through with them. If not, it's swing and a miss, and I think it's over, right? Like, I don't think he gets to play the offensive coordinator transition card. No, Graham Harrell is his ace in the hole. If he pays off, Helton keeps his job. If he doesn't, that's it. I don't think that's an indictment necessarily on Graham Harrell. That's an indictment on Clay still. Well, the whole point of about bringing in the air raid is that it's simple and easy and quick to install. So, yeah, I think uh, I think I wouldn't say that Helton will be given a grace period in terms of the, well, they were you know, installing a new offense. The The point of this offense is to be able to get it done quickly and basically let the talent shine without asking them to be overcomplicated in scheme and, and the like. So the simplification of it kind of takes that that side of the equation off the board. At the same time, like I think Michael is, is Michael and Idaho is on to a point about when you're making a coaching change, uh, it's a little bit more complicated than it used to be because of the December signing period because of the complications of all of these things. And so I'm, I know USC fans don't want to hear this. I don't want to be saying it, but I think the threshold for Clay Helton keeping his job is maybe probably like a game or two lower than people would like it to be. Um, I, I think if Clay Helton can have a sort of an eight and four season that's, that's reasonably competitive where they don't get blown out by anybody. Like, I think Lin Swan will have a lot of reasons to keep him around. Well, if, it, if it's a good-feeling 8-4, and four, I think that well, maybe people good can feeling, give him a though, lead. Because Lin Swan, is, I, well, Lin Swan is banking on that 2017 season, which we all know was not good feeling, even though it won USC right, the, right, right, the, the Pac-12 right. title. But I'm saying, if it's an 8-4 and four where they look like they ha- like they could have been 10-2 and two if things broke differently, um, it's a different situation. Like Then again, this was an SC team who... Went five and seven, probably should have been eight and four. Yeah. Just based on how the games played out, they should have beaten ASU. They should have beaten UCLA. They like, should have beaten Cal. The, but that's they my should have point. Cal. Those are those are three games, but those three games don't change the feel of the season. I'm talking about if you go eight and four, where I don't know. We can imagine a situation where it was a good eight and four team, a very uh, good. I eight don't and four even team. think like again, like I'm saying, like I think the threshold is lower. I'm talking than that. strictly eye test. No, strictly no, that, test. that's my point. I think the I think the threshold is lower than what you're talking about with eye test. I think USC can go eight and four, and it can be any sort of eight and four that doesn't involve four massive blowouts. And I think that Lin, See, Swan, I think if- Lin Swan can talk himself into, especially because Lin Swan has now revealed himself as the kind of person who thinks he knows best and right. probably is, sure. I think he's I'll digging in his heels about USC fans freaking out about Clay Helton. And I I don't think Lin Swan is eager at all 
to part ways with with Clay Helton. And so eight and four in any context that isn't, you know, a 50 point blowout to UCLA. Uh, I, I like I said, I think the threshold is lower than people want it to be. And I'm not I'm not saying that I want that threshold to be low. I'm saying that it is lower. I hear you. But I, I I'm just saying if Clay comes back after eight and four, that better be a damn good eight and four team that got hard done somewhere. I agree. Um, yeah. That that, you know, had a quarterback injury the last two games of the season or or got screwed and lost three overtime game. You know, something like that. Right. Where you're like, damn, this could have been an 11 or one team or whatever. They were they were really good. Games just didn't break their way or something. But there's a lot of ifs in that statement. So don't don't leave so many ifs around. That's the point. Uh, let's go to a text message from our buddy Greg in Woodland Hills. It says, after Notre Dame's 4-8 season, how many of their new hires, let's limit it to just coaching and strength and conditioning, had Notre Dame ties previously? And how many of USC's new 2019 season hires have USC ties? I, ca- I can't really speak to the Notre Dame hires, uh, but... USC's ties are Aaron Osmus has USC ties. Uh, Greg Burns was a USC assistant previously. Um, Joe DeForest. And Joe DeForest was on the staff. See, the, the Joe DeForest thing, I'm really indifferent about. Like, yes, it's promoting within, but at least it was a guy who had only been on the staff for a year. Mm, I I wouldn't. Sh- I, I, I'm, I'm, hold on. I'm just saying, like, it's not like this. Joe DeForest guy had been around USC forever, right? Like last year, Clay Helton brought him on because he was unemployed and he had experience. And that's what Clay Helton should have been doing last year. And he did the right thing by bringing him on staff then. Right. But there's a difference between you, you bringing someone. You didn't have someone... to promote him now, but at least like it's it's a little different than promoting, say, you know, Brian Ellis, the quarterback. There's, coach. A, there's a simple litmus test. Uh, when you bring somebody like Joe DeForest in as a consultant, it's very different than hiring him as a full-time assistant. 100%, and yes. he was not desired by other, like, clearly. So Presumably, yes, you're agreed. Which is a problem, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Um, so Chad K. Mike Chad Jinx, K. didn't Mike have... Jinx didn't have a connection. Chad K. didn't have a connection. Graham Harrell's only connection was through Cliff Kingsbury, who did not have a connection. Well, and Mike Jenks had the the Kingsbury connection Cliff, too. Yes, but but not in a bad way because again, you look around, you look around at all the vast majority of like coaching hires do come with connections. Like there, there's coaching right, trees but, for a reason. Like the, Jinx and Harrell, are, those are the connections to Cliff Kingsbury that are okay. Yes, exactly. USC's problem is the incestuousness of of. Yes. It all where it's which is where I guess I, I'll give you ground on the Joe DeForest thing is it's it was less incestuous than Aaron Osmus and, and Greg Burns uh, and and many many other hires that USC has made that were even worse than those guys uh, in terms of the USC connect con- connectivity of it all. You want a really hot take? Yes. I don't. I would argue that the Greg Burns thing isn't that incestuous. He was a former because, USC staffer. Except, uh, no, I know, I know. Like on paper, all that stuff is one hundred percent incestuous, right? But I think it's a little more Lannister than Targaryen here because, <laughs> like, because he wasn't. He's not technically like he, he wasn't there when he, Clay was there. When Clay was there, exactly correct. He wasn't there when Pendergast was there before. He wasn't there when any of these guys, except for Kerry Colbert, was there. But Kerry Colbert was a player on the other side of the ball. So that's a different situation. So, like, it's incestuous, but at least, like, 
I don't know. I feel like if Greg Burns didn't have that SC thing on the resume, he still could have been hired. That's, That's fair. Yeah, I, I can see that. That's fair. But uh, to, to Greg's point, and we're totally not answering it, I would guess that Notre Dame didn't have those connections. So maybe we should look that up and then give you an actual answer <laughs> uh, at some point. Uh, but let's go to a Patreon message we got from Rod. How about a move of Dominic Davis to receiver for a breakout season? This is the greatest question of all time because it is a great question. One I'm wondering. But yet Dominic Davis lined up at corner on Tuesday. What gives? Uh, USC has no corners, Michael. So while... They have no slot receivers. Uh, yes, but they have receivers. Uh, so like I think Rod... In theory, Rod, I think you're on track. I think in theory... The idea of deploying like Dominic Davis or Stephen Carr or like, you know, that kind of uh, a figure, those kinds of figures in the slot makes some sense. But, but I'm just saying USC if, if can Bill line Jones up leaves Dominic Davis should become Bayless Jones. OK, here's here's my question, Michael. Honest question. If I gave you USC goes out there in a four wide receiver set and they have Tyler Vaughn's. Amon Ross St. Brown, um, Michael Pittman, and Devin Williams all on the field at the same time. Yep. Is that a better lineup than Tyler Vaughn's, Amon Ross St. Brown, Michael Pittman, and Dominic Davis? Who's the running back in the first situation and the second one? Uh, both times it's Stephen Carr. What's the down and distance? What's the situation? <laughs> Is SC trailing? Like... <laughs> my 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 point is that USC doesn't have slot receivers, but USC has some really good receivers. And as we saw on Tuesday, they are not necessarily sticking to I, I would I haven't had a chance to talk to Graham Harrell yet, but I would wager that Graham Harrell may echo Clancy Pendergast's like best eleven line uh when it comes to the wide receivers in that like the best the best receivers will play regardless of technicalities of you know, slot outside, all this kind of stuff. So I, again, like I get Dominic Davis is of more value to USC as a body at cornerback right now than as a slot receiver is what I is, is that's the long way of saying that. So I, I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying, but I don't think you're arguing it correctly or arguing it the way I would, at least that's probably the better way to put it. Um, Right now, SC has Devin Williams, Michael Pittman, Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vance, and John Jackson the third. Hmm. Not all five of those guys are 100% healthy, A. B, SC wants to run four receiver sets. They have five scholarship receivers. You're not going to run the same four dudes out there every single time. They also have this like isn't, this five walk-on wide mad. receivers. Michael, this isn't mad. No, Michael. Literally, they had to run Britton Allen ninety percent no, of the reps. I get that. They I get don't that. I get that. Corners. But, but I think we're talking. <laughs> I'm not just talking spring. I'm talking long term. Okay. And so I think long term, when those the, other the, corners the argument show up. against Dominic Davis is that in the fall you get Munir McLean, you get Drake London, you get Kyle Ford, and so we can talk about how thin the wide receiver core is now. It won't be nearly as thin come the fall whereas the corners are still going to be thin come the fall well in the fall the corners will actually be the there's going to be a lot more corners though because they're there well, there will be a lot more corners but i th- i don't know i i feel like he would have more of a chance 
in the fall. I think either you way, you need to resign yourself to the fact that Dominic Davis is is just not going to have an impact on the 2019 dude, USC dude, team. Dude, don't do this to me. Do not do this to me, <laughs> first of all. Number two, all I want... Is him to win the Heisman? The Heisman. <laughs> no, well, besides the Heisman. I mean, that's just one small request. But all I want in life, really, all I want for Christmas this year... It's him to score a touchdown and me just be able to tweet that I told you also. Just like a punt return, kickoff return, a pick six, something to to give everyone the glimmer of hope that, and then everyone goes on Twitter and is like, you called it, dude. Whoa, Michael was right. Oh, that guy from Reign of Troy, that guy we always hate, like he said this thing and it was true. Michael was was right about Dominic Davis winning the Heisman because Dominic Davis scored a touchdown in 2019. (laughs) Uh, you you don't have logic. to put it that way. You really don't have to I'm put on it board that way. with the Dominic Davis touchdown train because if Dominic Davis is scoring a touchdown for USC, then USC's blowing someone out, which is something that I would like to see more often. I'm just saying it's a little unfair that there's a tight end touchdown. <laughs> you get like fifty tweets. I don't get anything. I just want Dominic Davis to score once so I get one moment in the sun. Well, That's all I want. Like I said, I'm I'm on board with this. Let's let's uh Start a, a campaign, a petition to get Dominic Davis a touchdown pass, a touchdown catch in uh, in 2019. Yeah, like have him be the long snapper on a bl- in a blowout, something, anything. <laughs> get get him on the field. Get him on the field. Anyways, that's gonna wrap up this episode. Thanks as always for dealing with my terrible voice. Thanks for always just listening to episode 304 here on Intro Radio. This is the perfect time we mentioned it before to subscribe on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Reign of Troy, where you can get Alicia's practice carcast. We're also gonna have more Rotbot's Choice episodes next week. USC is on spring break. Um, it's not winter break, by the way. Pointing that out there. It is spring break that SC will be on. And so that means we'll have more opportunity to do something like a Robot's Choice episode, a Takes with Jake episode, a bunch of stuff. So patreon.com slash Reign of Troy where you can subscribe and get all of our bonus episodes. And now's the other time, Alicia, where you can plug your first TV appearance. Yeah, are, are we calling it a TV appearance? That makes me more I think nervous. It's TV. I, I think it's TV. It's uh, Tunnel Vision. I'm going to be on Tunnel Vision on Wednesday night. Literally, Tunnel Vision TV. Uh, okay, that's fair. That's fair. It will be my first TV appearance over with the uh, with the folks over at uh, uscfootball.com. So looking forward to that. Not looking forward to driving out to to uh you know like santa monica okay don't don't give me this do not hate on the south bay i hate on the south bay michael it is that's your fault for living in the damn it valley. is very inconvenient very inconvenient for me to travel to south bay so the south bay is easy uh, not so much hey i like like i said if it was me it's like a 10 minute drive from my parents house to be super easy so I got to move to the South Bay. It'd be, <laughs> you'd get to practice easier. Everything would be easier. Your whole life would be yeah, easier. It, uh, in, move to the South ways. Bay with the normal folks. Yeah, but then I'd have to live there. and It's cooler. I like the valley. It's like 20 degrees cooler on a summer day than the valley. Yeah, but... It, there's a there's a daily breeze. That's why our, our <laughs> newspaper is called the Daily Breeze, because there's a breeze every afternoon. Uh, If you say so. If you say so. I like the valley. What is redeeming about the damn valley? Nothing. Uh, it's, it's it's a wonderful place to live. There's all sorts of things. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. There's, there's a lot of porn studios. <laughs> I didn't bring that up. Uh, it's, it's very hot. 
Like there's there's nothing redeeming about the damn valley. I live around some good hiking. Good hiking. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And the South Bay has excellent hiking. I got mountains. There's Palos Verdes. I got mountains right there. We got Palos Verdes. We got access to Catalina Island. <sighs> 26 miles away. If you say so. You're missing out. If you say so. South Bay is the place to be. Just saying. Well, Just I'm going to be that's, there that's on Wednesday, so. <laughs> you can start looking at apartments. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. tell you where, where <laughs> to look. Start trying to afford an apartment out there. Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. Anyways, uh, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening. As always, you know where to follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Facebook, Facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Email address Reign of Troy at fansided.com. And our phone number, 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Mario Castillo. This is Alicia. Alicia, give us a... I botched this. Just give us the final word. The final word is botched, as in, isn't that two in a row that you've botched the ending, Mike? I'm sick, okay? I'm still <laughs> sick. Uh, I'm all congested. I, I, You've been... T- the whole time, and this is the great part of editing, I've been, like, coughing the whole time. The listeners at home won't even get to hear it because I'll edit it out, but it's been a struggle. Absolute struggle. It has been. It has been listening to you cough up a lung, literally. I know. All right, uh, we'll see you next week. Till then, see ya. See ya. See ya. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.